Hey everyone, welcome to Vibroscope Records Through the Lens. Where we empower artists through entrepreneurship. My name is Steven Risen, also known as Stevie the Vibe. I'm Lee H. Alexander, and I'm also known as Leslie on all Spotify platforms and Apple Music. Awesome. All right. How you doing today, Lee? I'm doing well. Uh, just got back from uh, tour uh, on layoff for a little bit. What about you? I'm just here at U of M doing classes. I'm in a practice room hilariously. It's crazy the places where you can make these things happen. No, for real. For real, man. It's awesome. Go blue. Yeah, go, go blue. blue indeed. <laughs> and also, thanks so much for joining me in this podcast initiative, dude. I'm, I'm so excited to bring on all these awesome impactful people that we're going to be bringing on our show together. Yeah, me too. I, I think this is something that's going to be a value to the artist community. And it's something that me and Steve are just really passionate about. And we're really excited to have a conversation with our guests and share that conversation. Um, it's going to be really meaningful, deep conversations. Uh, and and, and, and uh, yeah, it's just going to be great. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, Lee, I think I'm going to kick off kind of like the theme of this episode. Today, uh, recently, uh, Lee and I have decided through, you know, a couple of years now of collaboration and putting our heads together and making some really cool songs that we feel are going to touch a lot of people. Uh, we decided that we want to kind of take that to the next step. We want to try to use our album and some of the things we've learned from the industry along the way to help us form our own record label. And uh, today we're going to have a very special guest for you who also helps to start his own record label, but we'll get back to that later. So, um, one thing that I really wanted to ask you about, Lee, is uh, what really, like, drew you to the idea that I pitched to you about, like, starting a record label? Like, what was enticing to you about that? Well, I feel like what was most enticing to me about that idea was that, you know, it would take something that I was passionate about, music production, storytelling, creating, rapping, lyricism, and turn it into uh, another one of my passions, entrepreneurship and business. You know, I'm combining my right brain and left brain, but, you know, combining my artist identity with um, my business acumen, I, I just thought was a great, great idea. And I, I think you just pitched it so well. And we were already making music. We're already collaborating on this album. I was like, what a, what a brilliant way to promote our work, but also provide value to our community. Um, and yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I totally feel you. I think that's the reason why I came up with the idea. I mean, obviously, um, one of my family members started his own business and we kind of learned the process of how to promote music and create a network together. Like we shared videos with each other. We kind of like exchanged knowledge through that process. And, um, as a result of that, he was able to really turn it into a flourishing idea and I was able to kind of put it to the side until I was ready. But I think that once I kind of heard our music and once I felt what we were doing, I had to kind of push the narrative to you. And I'm really glad you were receptive of it. No, it was it was a great idea and I'm 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 glad that we're we're going through it through with it and through with this podcast. I I'm really excited to, you know, get this started, get this, get this cracking. <laughs> yeah, so I guess a big question that I want to ask, overarching on this topic is, what is your why? And I feel like I've heard this from so many different business people or young entrepreneurs or old entrepreneurs alike. The question of why. Why do you wake up in the morning and choose to do this? 
Um, I think I'm going to lead this one off. Um, okay. Personally, I would say that the reason I do this is because I believe that through the process of building this business and through the process of releasing this music and getting it in front of a lot of people, I'm going to encourage a lot of people that came from lesser known areas or that came from backgrounds where they didn't have the most resources. And I'm going to basically encourage them to be able to take a stand and to be able to push their music despite all the doubts and fears they have. That's kind of the message that I want to send and why I wake up in the morning and want to be an entrepreneur. Right. No, that's a, wow, that's a great, you articulated that perfectly. Um, I think my why is on, is along the same lines of when I was at U of M, I pursued a BFA in musical theater, but I also minored in performing arts management and entrepreneurship. And it was then where I, I had the privilege of taking a variety of leadership and entrepreneurial uh, skills courses. And as, I mean, as soon as I planted my, you know, myself in, in that seat in that classroom, I was like, okay, so many of my classmates would benefit from entrepreneurial ideas and, and, and sentiments and, and knowledge. And I think one of the things that is, is missing in some of these arts programs is, you know, a requirement for entrepreneurial classes. I think it's something that everyone will benefit from. And, you know, why not create a, another revenue of, you know, income? Why not expand your horizons and, and not limit yourself to one, you know, career path, but pursue something else, you know, we're, we're capable of so much. And I think through this, you know, empowering artists through entrepreneurship, this is, you know, this is the lifeblood of, you know, our mission and our purpose. Um, so I'm, I, I feel very privileged to, to be with, um, with, with you, Steve, and to, to pursue this, this, uh, this mission side by side. Yeah, I definitely share those feelings, Lee. Um, thank you for expanding on my point. I really couldn't have said it better. And I guess that'll lead us directly into our next question. I kind of illuminated on this a little bit, but who are you doing this for? What impact do you intend to have through your mission of building this empire? Yes. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm doing it for the artists. I'm doing it for, for my community that I hold so dear, um, my community that I'm a part of, and you know i'm currently pursuing a career in the arts and through my you know experiences through my observations you know i'm realizing that there are certain resources that are lacking for artists uh, in terms of mentorship in terms of leadership in terms of guidance so i i i long to fill that hole i long to fill that void so that when artists you know that are coming up behind me you know, you know, have need for mentorship and, and guidance that I can be a resource to them and I can provide provide value in that way. Yeah, I love that, Lee. That's actually exactly what I was hoping you'd say. Um, that is definitely what I'm doing it for as well. I've kind of come to realize that in the music industry, there is really no clean path to success. A lot of people have to make sacrifices they wouldn't be willing to make if they didn't want a career so badly. A lot of people exactly. have to give up things they love and things they enjoy and things that are intrinsically them in order to fit different molds and stereotypes. And by the time they finally do have their creative freedom, they're so burnt out that they've become just like the executives that they, you know, that they didn't want to take after. And so I think what you and I are doing right now is giving artists the choice of whether or not they want to continue to allow this industry to spread, you know, like, you know, obviously it's not all negative, but 
Do we want to continue to let the negative tropes of this industry flourish? Or do we want to clean up that mess and start to kind of make it more of a positive? Right. Exactly. No, that was really well articulated. And I, I, I definitely agree. That definitely is our mission to to add in, in clarity and to really, yeah, to really provide people with a resource. Definitely. Yeah. So I think our last question before we bring in our special guest is what and who do you need to make this mission happen? Do you want to start wow. with that, Lee, or do you think I should? Uh, I, I can start with it. Absolutely. Um, First of all, obviously, we need our community, um, not just support, but, um, you know, obviously, we need people to listen to this message, to spread it, um, to to share it with people that they think would be positively impacted with it or artists in their family. Um, so, yes, we do need support from from our community. Um, we need, you know, uh exposure and in, in, in certain ways to you know spread our message further um and yeah yeah i would say we do need our, our community that is that is the most valuable um part definitely i agree to kind of expound on that um i would say that the people that we need are the people that share our same hunger and i'll elaborate on that um obviously the way that the industry is set up right now kind of functions as like a capitalist one where everybody's competing against each other because we all gotta eat. And the issue is that I am a singer, an audio engineer, a mixing and mastering engineer. I've got all of these different titles, but the fact is that there are some things that A, I'm not as good as other producers at, or B, I simply do not want to do. And other engineers are experts at it. I wanna be able to bring them in and kind of use that skill set use the skill sets they have to complement my artistry. More than that, if you step aside from the artistic component and just look at it from a business perspective, we need all artists to invest at least emotionally in this project because we know that simply change is not going to happen without people being willing to change, without being willing to hear a new perspective. And I'm hearing, at least here at U of M and at least in the younger musical community, that people are really hungry for change. But what does change look like? And I think that you and I are bringing that change. So for us, we need the same investors. We need the same people that are keeping the industries that may mistreat some artists alive. You know, we need them to chip in to this project, to the movements that actually allow artists to celebrate the art. And I guess that's kind of like the long-term mission of a business like ours, right? Right. All right. I really. Oh no! Continue, Lee. Continue. I apologize. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I was wondering if you wanted to mention our our, our project that's coming out in December, Pressure, our, our first album. Absolutely. That is, yeah, that is that is basically riding on the coattails of our supporters and our passion um, for you know music creating, our passion for you know um, providing something of value to this community and you know empowering artists through entrepreneurship, you know? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So yeah, like like Lee said, our album Pressure is gonna be coming out later this fall, possibly early this winter. It really depends on our scheduling because the album is done. It is done and it is ready to be released. However, we wanna make sure that it's released in such a way that everyone has access to it. So one of the things that we would really like to request from you guys is to donate to our GoFundMe or 
uh, potentially sign up for our Patreon so that we can gather funds to really help push this album and the building of our label so that we can really create a nice foundation. Um, I will say that this project is definitely one of the more impactful projects I've ever worked on. And Lee's been the perfect co-worker for me in this process. And I feel like we're really gonna, we're really gonna move a lot of people with this, don't you, Lee? Yes, no, I, I, I definitely agree. This is definitely gonna be uh, one for the books, definitely. Awesome, well, without further ado, I would like to introduce our special guest, the Vice President of Amitha Studios, John Ryzen. Thanks for joining us today, buddy. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. It was hey, pretty John. inspiring to listen to. Yeah, um, of course, man. I'm, I'm so glad you were willing to tune in with us. For those of you that don't know, John is my brother, and we go back a long time, obviously. <laughs> we have a, Your entire life. Yeah, and <laughs> we're, we're very close and very close-knit, and I feel like we kind of learned a lot of the, the processes of growing in the music industry together, and we shared a lot of insight with each other. How did you feel about that process, Johnny, and how did that impact your decision-making? Well, it was an interesting process because I'm 10 years older than Steven, and I have been a professional musician for, oh my goodness, uh, for 11 years as a full-time professional, but I started professional work while I was in my master's degree, so probably 13 or 14 years now I've been a, a professional singer and only a professional singer uh, until COVID. And so I was in the business as an opera singer uh, originally, and I, I performed all around the world, Italy, China, the United States, and um, led, that led me into doing some crossover into musical theater uh, about six or seven years ago. And that opened doors to doing pops concerts with symphonies and private concerts and things like that. Um, and then COVID hit. And so I had all this wealth of experience as a singer and, and meeting people doing stuff in the music industry, but never had really done anything in the recording side until 2019 when I recorded my first album. And this was just a passion project. I had a donor uh, in Louisiana who I loved really, who said, hey, you sing all these special songs, I need them recorded. And um, so we worked it out. I got in the studio, I made this first album. It's called What You'd Call a Dream and it centers around my life and this idea that I used to play baseball is a big part of my life. Um, and then I became a singer and I sang specific songs. And so this album is like all of that. It has songs my dad wrote, has songs that I sang at really big venues like the Lincoln Center, it has um, what you'd call a dream is a song itself about baseball. And so I made this album. That was my first real recording experience. So that's only four years ago now. Um, and when COVID hit and stopped all of my work, I was expecting a child. My wife is pregnant, of course. And my income that year was supposed to be the best it had ever been in my career. Um, I won't use exact numbers, but it was quite uh, an impressive year. And then slowly but surely, my agents would call and say, this is canceled, that is canceled, that is canceled. And um, that's when the idea came to find a, a new way to make money, a new way to promote my art. And um, that's where your question starts, Stevie. Sorry for all the back history, but it, it does matter to the answer to the question. No, absolutely, Johnny. I was, um, I was more so saying like, I really enjoyed the process of getting to learn the intricacies with you because you knew that that was such a close passion of mine. So let's, let's kind of begin the answer to the original question here, now that they know that. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's where I was going is, so at this moment, 
with very little knowledge about the recording industry, we jumped in blindly into how does streaming work? How does distribution on streaming work? How does licensing work? How does getting your music heard work? And it was it was like um, we were it, it, a try. It was a trial by fire. Really, we just jumped in the deep end and tried some things, failed at some things, tried some other things, succeeded at some things. And it was a really exciting time, um, especially when we first figured out that people were promoting their music a certain way, uh, independent artists were promoting their music a certain way. And I think it was um, Steven who first found some videos on YouTube just about people during COVID trying to get independent music heard. And they were using, at the time, Facebook ads or they were using um, Google ads and things like that. We were just experimenting. And um, we put some of our own money into it and figured out how to be more successful that way. And it was really, um, I mean, we had nothing to do. So it was really <laughs> exciting. And it, it gave us a, a new passion. And because I'm in the classical world so solidly, I realized after a little while that what we were doing was not unique at all to the pop industry. It was not unique at all to the rock and country and rap industries or R&B, but it was wholly unique to the classical industry. No one had tried this at all. And in all of our research, Stevie and I couldn't find places to put my classical singing. We couldn't find places to pitch um, vocal music that wasn't pop oriented. And that opened this idea of, well, what if we build that? And um, that's what eventually led to the, the promotion that I now with Amitha, um, my wife's company that she started. But that's a, that's a much broader um, thing. And I'll throw it back to you, Stevie, to um, kind of wrap that up with a bow, because you're also a part of that process. Absolutely. Um, I have been welcomed with open arms into many different collaborations with Amitha, particularly with John specifically. Um, I've had the opportunity of engineering many of his songs, and it's been an absolute blast. He's my favorite vocalist ever to work with. His voice is so interesting, and so whenever he tells me to add color, I'm just like, <laughs> I already hear plenty. But, you know, it's, it's always so much fun. Um, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted John to lead off here. It's not just because he's my brother. It's also just because we've had, he's had such an impact on this industry. And so actually from here, I kind of want to throw the football over to Lee because he had a nice question for John here. And I wonder how John would uh, break it apart. Sure. Yeah, John. Um, yeah, I was wondering, um, just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, in terms of, you know, the company uh, that you and your wife have um, and that you're the VP of, I was wondering, like, what is the process of, you know, uh, having an idea, right, and then making that idea tangible? Like you're talking about, you know, during COVID, it made you look at, you know, your career in a, in a different sense and kind of use a different alleyway to make money and to, you know, make a career. Like what is the process of taking an idea and then making it tangible and making it successful and making it financially viable? Like what is that process and like how would you um you know categorize or explain that process Ooh, that's a big deep question yeah i love it i love it with that i need to give credit where credit's due the um the person who inspired me 
the most in this was actually my wife, Jillian, who is the CEO and president of Amita. And um, what, what had happened is before COVID, for years and years, she had been doing photography and website design for other artists. And it was a nice side income. Many artists do this for each other when they have a special skill. And when COVID hit, she wanted to formalize the idea and say, okay, well, what if we could provide this service to more people and, and get it out there? Um, and because of the timing of COVID and the timing of Stevie and I starting to play around with the idea of promoting music, um, my wife and I talked and we realized, well, if we combined our ideas, suddenly we would have kind of a, a, a way to reach more people and say like, oh, well, you're making albums, you're making websites, you're getting your photos taken, you're getting music promoted. Maybe those services are all things you'd want. And there were things in our side of the industry. So um, it was the, the process for us getting from zero to started is a whole lot of planning and a lot of consistency and a lot of grinding. And those are those are those are the same um, ideals I think that most industries run by, but really it's, you had to sit down, you had to think through some options, what direction you wanted to go and how do you build the bridge from here to there. And some, one of the first ways you can do that is research, calling other people who've done it, calling other people who might know how to do it, talking to record labels, talking to um, people who've promoted music or talking to people saying, is this a need you'd want filled? If you would want it filled, how would you want it filled? Have you worked with other people like this? And getting questions answered for yourself. And that's, we did a lot of reconnaissance, as it were, to find out how to build the bridge from here to there. And then we had to build the bridge, if you follow my metaphor. Absolutely. We had to put in immense amounts of hours, which we happened to have because COVID took away all our work um, on the stage. And we're sitting at home and we just put in the work. We, we started to build the pieces. We started to reach out to people. We started to make contacts, make inquiries, get people in the door, um, flesh out this idea. And then finally, it's this idea of grinding. Um, there are, especially in music, there are so many talented people, immensely talented people in this world that it's mind boggling. You know, they, there's a saying that only the, the top 1% of the top 1% in art are the most successful. And that's very true because to even be here, you have to be talented. To be here and make it professionally, you have to be immensely talented. And then to make it full-time professionally, you have to then have put in the work, have the skills, which is skills are different than talents. Skills are refined things, things that you put time into. And then you will be the top 1% of the top 1% making your living this way. And, um, and over the course of many years, it's easy to make a splash. It's hard to do it for a long time. And so um, that same concept goes with business. You have to have the idea, figure out how to do the many hours of painstaking work to make that idea come to fruition. And for anyone thinking about starting a business, um, there are all sorts of resources and books about these things. But the question you need to ask yourself, I think, and that we were so successful in, and I give all the credit to Jillian on this, is where is there a hole that needs to be filled? It's like you guys were saying about providing things to, to, 
to people in the community and stuff like that. Where is there a hole that needs to be filled and how can you fill it? And is that a worthwhile thing to people? Is it, is it something they want to be a part of and want to invest in? If so, your path is laid before you and you just have to do it. If not, maybe you're barking up the wrong tree. And, and these are hard questions to answer because, you know, it's like the classic right now. Every pop singer in the world is like, well, I want to make it out of my basement because Billie Eilish did and because so-and-so did. And I mean, Taylor Swift runs her own stuff. Well, but maybe you are real. You're literally saying your competition out loud, though. By entering into that world, you are literally competing with those two. And so, you know, finding a place where you have an open door to walk through right now is key, I feel. Um, especially if you're building from the ground up. You don't want to be just like bashing your head against a wall. So um, anyways, uh, that's it's a very complex uh, question, but I really do go down to those three things. You have to figure out all the different pieces of how you want to build that bridge. Then you have to build that bridge. Then you have to cross that bridge that you've built and continue to go on this path you started. Um, and I think that this is a time for the independent artists, people like you guys who are like really making a splash early in your young lives, that you can build something. And the way you build it is by fleshing out that idea and really researching and finding the information about the direction you want to go and how it affects people. And then just putting in the work and not quitting. Because so many will stop halfway. And it's only the ones who don't stop that really get to the end of the, the journey, if you follow all my many mixed metaphors. <laughs> hey, no, that's great, Johnny. I think for a second I'm going to take the torch again and just kind of reiterate the fact that John's insight is so deep on this topic. Like, um, one of the things that we wanted to make very clear in this episode is that starting a business, especially just being a solo artist, it's actually, in a lot of ways, harder to be a solo artist than it is to be a larger business because all of the responsibilities to make an identity for yourself get yourself involved with an agent perform release music promote falls directly in your pocketbooks you don't have any help you don't have any outreach so one of the things that lee and i and now john now that we've included john in this process want to make very clear is that no one has to do it alone if you're going to build something, recruit people that are already builders to help you build. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to jump in on that, Stevie, because, you know, you, you mentioned Amitha, and Amitha is our broader company. But our record labels are actually Lexicon Classics and Crossover Records. Um, and the way this all works is Amitha is a production company, and we have three wings. The first wing, of course, was design. That was the original concept of the company. Jillian was doing photography, web design, branding, album artwork, things that, that involved art uh, for artists. Then I brought in the side of licensing, promotion, and distribution. Getting people heard, making sure it's legally heard, making sure you're getting royalties. How do you get more royalties? How do you get more listeners? But then we did exactly what Steven said. We found another person who filled in a need, and that was Jonathan Estrebrooks, our other vice president, who is the head of production, and he brings in audio and video and great expertise there, having worked with some of the greats in the industry, uh, like Dave Wright's out of LA, the you know, multi, multi, multi Grammy winning mixer and master um, engineer for Barbara Streisand, Josh Groban, go down the list. Um, and suddenly we had the pieces to do our, our labels. 
which are lexicon classics and crossover records, as I said, just based on the genre. Crossover, classical, and then classical, classical. And truly, having the different pieces is why we succeeded. Whenever some a question came about what I was doing, I could handle it and answer it. Whenever I needed help with something production-related or had a person come and say, how do I get a music video made? How do I get in the studio? I could throw it to production. Whenever we needed artwork done, we throw it to design. And then when design, to promotion and distribution. And suddenly we... And no one's stepping on each other's toes in a dream world. And it's all being handled. And so, I mean, what you just said is brilliant, Bibi. You, what you need to find are a community of people. You can find more people that you all take responsibilities within what you're doing to accomplish the same goal. I love win-win mentalities. That's the baseball player in me. It takes nine guys to win a baseball game. You know, there's no baseball game that's ever won by one guy unless a perfect game is thrown, except for there has to be a catcher. And people still have to score. So you still need nine guys. Yeah, beautifully said. And, uh, record labels are just like that. And, and the music industry is just like that. No one has ever made it to the top alone. Period. If someone says they had, it's because they're arrogant and foolish. Because someone had to pay them the first time. Someone had to give them the first 150,000 opportunities. Someone had to write their checks. Some, You know what I mean? Like, no one makes it anywhere alone. And surrounding yourself with key members that can handle responsibilities is how you get from A to Z. Um, and that's a life lesson, but especially music. You can't open a door by yourself. You can't get that job by yourself. You need the casting director or the music executive or the general director or whomever to like you, love you. And how do you even get the introduction? Someone else. So with a label, in your guy's case, and in our case, we found partners who could successfully handle their own goals, but then it, it synergize with us in solidarity and, and go, okay, we have all the pieces of record label. If someone comes to us and says, I want from the ground up a CD that I can hand out at concerts, that's streamed, that's beautiful, that is heard a lot online, literally each of us has our part to play in that. And we don't ever have to really do anything but rely on the others and say, okay, well, it's your turn. I need the artwork design. Artwork design is sent. Okay, well, I need the audio files. Okay. Okay, he got the licenses. Here's distribution. Okay, now for promotion. And that's how you synergize that stuff. So what you said was so perfect, Stevie. I had to just throw that in there. Um, surrounding yourself with a team is essential as a musician. I love and that. As music business person. That's awesome. That's yeah, great. thanks so much, buddy. I think you answered a bunch of our questions, but there's one aching question we that I think we have left that's unanswered, and then I'll give Lee the floor in case he has anything more to say after this question. But um, how do you, as John or as Lexicon Classics or as Amitha, manage relationships with other artists, especially one with big personalities? Because that is something I've noticed that a lot of people struggle to do successfully? Yeah, that's a hard question because that's, I, I, I'm a, always of two minds on this. John Ryzen has always been exceptionally um, good at taking a lower seat at the table. That's something my dad always says to us. You know, I, I have been sat at the lower end of the table and then I slowly work my way up by trying to be unassuming, trying not to assert my 
myself on top of people, but let it naturally show itself. And so that created a personality in me that's very patient with people. And I try really hard to be kind and I'm naturally an optimist. I'm naturally upbeat and a golden retriever personality is what I have been called a lot. Um, and because of that, it's easy for me to interact with people even when they're being mean and stuff. However, the second you step into business, it gets much more challenging. And that's where the question actually, I think is more important. Suddenly you have a contract between you and that contract states, I will do this, you will do this, we will treat each other with a certain respect, and then we'll exchange those services, whether the services be the artist providing materials and money, and the, the business providing skills, labor, and product. But there's an unspoken responsibility of both to have mutual respect and kindness and professionalism between each other, and that is often broken by artists and clients. Um, and dealing with that's quite challenging. Uh, everyone deals with it differently. I feel that people are naturally worth patience. Um, that's just something that's been ingrained in me from, from my life and my, my belief system, my moral <laughs> compass. Just like, even when I'm mad, I, I have to remind myself that people are worth it. And if other, you know, if we don't give people patience, no one will. Um, and so when these people overstep or try and go back on their contracts, you have to be as calm and calculating as possible. I think my wife is the best at this. Matter of fact as possible to be like, well, we agreed on this and that is in our contract and there's no hard feelings. It's just you must fulfill your terms because this is a binding contract between us. Um, and I guess the, the second point I, I should make is you want to, if you enter into a business relationship with anyone, you want to have a contract with them unless you have the utmost trust in them and a great relationship with them. Because otherwise you have nothing to rely on to say, well, it doesn't matter that you're, because I fulfilled my terms of my contract and you're in the wrong and there's nothing you can actually do. And there's a lot I can do if you don't fulfill your terms of your contract. And a lot of contracts actually do state, and this is just fun, free stuff for you. Um, you're welcome state in any contract that if I don't like the way you're treating me, I can do X, Y, and Z. And th that's very common, you know, to say I can disassociate with you based on if I feel your actions are harmful or um, degrading or immoral, I can keep your money and not do the work anymore. And you know, we've almost called upon that before on our end with some people where they were horrible and disrespectful. And um, then we brought out the contract and said, just, you know, if you continue down this path, don't treat us with the professionalism we've treated you with. We will just keep your money and do none of the work. And you signed this paper. So you, uh, you can either treat us better and we'll do the work. Or you can go on your merry way having lost a bunch of money and it's your own fault for not treating us with, with kindness and respect. And, and that's one, one way professionals handle this because it gets tough, especially with strangers, especially with big personalities, music, big personalities. Um, and you have to realize when you're in the business form, you're not an artist. An artist always feels they have to please. And this is, you know, this is the hardest thing for me 
because I love pleasing people. I am a people pleaser by definition. When you're an artist, you typically do have to please. You will get not hired by not pleasing people. And, you know, you can make that choice, you know, respect yourself over getting more work. I, that happens all the time. And that I respect that a lot in people. I've done that before myself. I'm like, I don't want to work with them anyway. So I won't take this beating anymore. And I will stand up for myself and they just won't hire me. Great. But in business, that expectation is not there. You do not have to allow the X, Y, and Z to speak this way to you because you're not you're not um, reliant on uh, art, the, the opinion of art, the su subjective opinions in art, to to get to the next step. In business, you're actually trying to do different things with different objectives, and the more professional, the more business oriented you are, the safer you are. Uh, and it's just a different mindset. And I'm still struggling to wrap my head around it because I'm like, well, let me people please everyone and make concessions here and give discounts here and da da da. It's like I would if I were an artist. And every time it it almost always ends poorly. And it's like, why didn't I just stick to the the guns of no, we don't do that because our company doesn't offer that. You don't go to Target and go up to the cash register and go, uh, I don't like that this Xbox is three hundred dollars. I'll only pay you a hundred. That, that's not how that works. <laughs> they go, no. And we don't question it because that's just how it is. You pay this for this product, period. Uh -huh. And yet, for some reason in the arts, we, we wrap our head around like, oh, well, I'll do it for less then. Okay, yes, you can have the Xbox for $40 if you'll take it. And we you have to disassociate that thinking. Mm -hmm. like no I'm worth it and if you don't want to pay for it okay well then you're not gonna pay for it someone else will mm -hmm. and eventually you'll be you know you'll find the right clientele and you'll find the right product for the right people and they will pay your rates and I'm not saying not to do friend rates and I'm not saying not to give um, people breaks here and there I, I we do that for all sorts of people when it's necessary or you know a particular project we believe in or, or whatever but the thinking that people come to it with is like, oh, well, I thought you'd do it for $20 an hour. And it's like, really? You thought I would do this thing that is highly specialized that you can't just find anyone to do for $20 an hour? Really? Well, I suppose you have to go find someone who will do it for $20 an hour. And you won't, by the way, because you won't find them. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And you just have to stick to it, you know? Stick to your guns on that. Right. All right, Lee, did you have anything more you wanted to say to John or ask to John before we close it up? Yeah, I, I just have one last question for you, John. Um, and you can make this as vague or as specific as you want um, without uh, giving away the secret sauce, as you say. Um, but I was wondering, like, what is the end goal of Amifa? Like, in terms of what, what are the goals you, uh, your company wants to achieve, um, you know, in terms of, you know, in terms of outreach, in terms of, um, not just in terms of, not in terms of financially, but just in terms of outreach, in terms of mission, in terms of purpose. Um, yeah. What is, what is the end goal of Amitha? Yeah. Well, I will answer for my branch because there are three of us running through different wings as it were, and we come together for the labels really. Um, it, it's, it's complex cause we're, um, we are a full production company 
And then the record labels, of course, are a way to facilitate artists' needs in a very specific way. Um, the goals of what I do, which is promotion, and, and this has been my goal from the beginning. And it started as a selfish goal, and I don't say sorry for it because look at what's grown out of it. The goal was people like me really have struggled to be heard in the past. Uh, a classical singer, a musical theater singer, a person who can sing Bruner Jazz, a person who can sing all the classic movie stuff from the 20, 30, 40, 50s, you know, uh, people who have classical training who just love singing. Um, this is a pretty big genre of, of people. And they're before me and, and what we've done at Amitha with the last three years, there was no place to be heard independently. There was no place to really um, uh, centralize. There was no central listenership uh, on any streaming service. There were very few editorial playlists even. Um, and so it was almost like a fool's errand to, to record. It was almost a fool's errand to try and reach people on social media and stuff because it wasn't a popular enough genre. Um, and the true classical people were like, oh, it's a waste of time. And the... Um, the more poppy you went, then it would lean more into the, the pop industry itself, which is quite disconnected from the world I grew up in, uh, in, in the true opera and true musical theater worlds. And so the, the end goal when I started was to create a list for people like me and myself included. Why would people go pay th thousands and thousands of dollars to hear Andrea Bocelli, the great <coughs> classical crossover tenor, sing and you know he gets a million dollars performance and he has billions of streams online why would people go out of their minds to hear him but not anyone else who sounds exactly like him or even better yeah. that that in itself blew my mind and the same is true of several other iterations of this and like your josh grobins and your you know why are there only five of them when you go into any other industry and there are you know hundreds of people that that match this criteria yep. and there are people just like Andre Pacelli and Josh Groban they just there was no place for anyone to be heard but them because they were the only ones in the popular eye yeah and so my goal was well hold on let's just build this bridge and put all this music of all these people in front of that audience and see what happens and what happened was people loved it because it's the same exact stuff it's the same songs it's the same technical level or better especially with the people I know who sing at the Met or all around the world. I mean, it's like there, there is a, a huge audience for this kind of music and no one was reaching it. And so I, my bridge that I wanted to build was that a bridge to the audience that already existed that no one else has cracked into. Yep. That's, it's a great dream. And it has been going so well. We're at a point where we have access to millions of listeners. I myself am kind of a case study I've done. And I have millions of streams now just on my personal catalog. And it's it's growing by hundreds of thousands a month. And um, there are a lot of peripheral genres I've started reaching into. And Stevie and I have a fun pet project called Blue Light that for, for just fun, I just it's ambient instrumental music i wanted to see what would happen if i went into these peripheral areas of cinematic ambient study music and we have millions of streams on there now and you think about it independently having millions of streams that's that millions of people hearing your music that's remarkable and we've only just started we only just cracked into this world and so the end goal to answer the question 
question, because all my answers are long for some reason, <laughs> is the end goal would be to allow help people reach millions of people easily. And yes, that does make us a gatekeeper, but we're a very nice gatekeeper. And we're a gatekeeper who wants to help and, and we want to change the industry and the way the industry is viewed. Because I think classical singing, classical crossover singing, musical theater singing, and all of these quote niche, quote, old school styles of singing is so beautiful and so powerful and people don't understand it because it's not presented properly. Um, I think if you put it in front of millions of people, the industry would change. I think especially opera gets a bad rap. I mean, I sing a lot of genres. I still love opera. And I think that the image of it would change entirely if all of Bocelli's fans suddenly were inspired to go see people like me at the opera. Because they, they realize that I'm a normal American guy with a family and I, you know, I'm told I'm handsome and I'm fun on stage <laughs> and people like my voice. Why do they like me, right. you know? But they won't come. Right. And so I'm building that bridge for the industry to say, well, if millions of people listen to my music, why wouldn't millions of people then come see me? And not just me, me being the, I should say us, the royal us, the, the royal we, um, you know, bringing us all together, bringing people back to this kind of music because it is worth hearing. And that's been my goal from the beginning is to build that bridge of listenership. We're reaching millions. Eventually, I'm hoping dozens of millions and hundreds of millions. I don't know. The sky is the limit with that. But that truly is my end goal for my side of the company. And I know each branch kind of has that same goal. We're trying to change the way the industry is viewed and the quality of what people see and show the world that it is not this lame, boring thing of old, fat people in their white ivory tower sitting there elitist holding their hand out to everyone else. It's not that. Mm. And this is how I want to build that bridge. Beautifully said, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, checking in with us today. We could not have appreciated your words anymore. They were beautiful. Lee, do you have anything further you want to say? Uh, no, not in particular. Uh, John, I would just uh, like to ask if, if someone wants to stream your music or follow you on social media, if you could just, you know, plug yourself real quick <laughs> oh, absolutely i'm great at that so my name of course is john risen r-i-e-s-e-n for those of you who speak guys i know it is reason but i'm american and that's what we do here um i am john risen on instagram if you speak me on spotify apple pandora whatever you will find me i'm i have brown hair and hazel eyes I'm always usually smiling in my pictures. Easy to find me. Um, I have uh, over releases now on Spotify and six more coming out in the next few months. So there's a lot to check out and it ranges from jazz to musical theater to opera to classical crossover to some pop and country. Um, I tried to really vary it up and I've done a lot of collaborations with a lot of different artists just for fun to see what would happen. Experiments and to make art and so you know i love reaching out to people if you know if you follow me on instagram send me a note i will respond i'm on the road a lot performing and so um when i'm away from my family i like filling that time with wholesome things like getting to know people um so feel free to reach out and if there are ever like songs you guys want us to do 
as Stevie said, we do a lot of collaborations, me and him for fun, and we build stuff from scratch and we've done a lot of covers for fun. And uh, if there's a cover that you guys hear in my voice, let us know. We'll do it. Um, totally. It's fun, you know? And when, when it's me and Stevie, it costs us like nothing <laughs> because he's the recording engineer, mixing and mastering. I have a recording studio at my house and uh, we make it, we make it happen. So, you know, check me out, send me a message. Um, I always welcome new friends and, and fans. Awesome. 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 And if, if you um, are, are interested in um, checking me and Steve's uh, Instagram out at Vibro- Vibroscope Records on Instagram and Facebook and my personal page, Lee H. Alexander, um, Leslie on Spotify. That's L-E dollar sign L-I-E and Steve at Stevie the Vibe. And uh, Steve, would, would you like to plug your social media as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Like Lee said, uh, my Spotify is Stevie the Vibe. Three words. Stevie is in Stevie Wonder. The Vibe. And then my Instagram is Stevie the Vibe. Um, yeah, that's mostly mostly Instagram. It's just all I use, so I think that's good for now. But yeah, thank you both so much for joining me today. And of course, Lee's going to be my partner going forward in these podcasts. But John, we so appreciate your time. That was my yes, thank you, John. I I love what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. Um, I encourage you both to keep pressing forward. You will you will come up against roadblocks, and you'll just push through them. And um, it, it's cool to see, you know, guys 10 years younger than me fighting for the same stuff I am. And I, I really look forward to watching you guys grow and, and being a resource for you. We really appreciate it, dude. Yes. Thank you, John. This was a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. You guys have a great day and I will talk with you soon. Sounds great, yep. man. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Take care. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to close the episode with a brief piano uh, outro here. I think I want to kind of cre- uh, turn this into a habit just to kind of give you guys a little bit of musical content along with your listening since you've been such great listeners you've gotten to this point. So enjoy. Oh wow, this pedal is shot. <laughs> <laughs>